Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 51 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo. Chuck, did you realize that this is like our anniversary? Um, our anniversary was in January actually. <laughs> we missed a handful of episodes. Otherwise it would be, yeah. Yeah, whatever. I, I don't know whether or not I'm live. I don't know when our anniversary is. I don't know nothing. <laughs> we also have Jameson Dance. Hey guys. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about finding a job. I, I, I'm a little curious. AJ, you're freelance now, aren't you? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Well, and mostly I'm just working on projects that I've been wanting to work on. I haven't actually sought out a lot of work. Oh, okay. And and Jameson is uh, impris- or employed. <laughs> I'm happily employed. <laughs> I'm, I'm freelance as well. I've been freelance for a few years here now. So, uh, and I know, I, I know that Tim went freelance. I don't know if that stuck or not. It sounded like it has, at least until he decides he wants to be somewhere else. Merrick and Joe are both employed, though. Yeah, so they both work at we're Domo, like so. half and half, I guess. Yeah. So, how many how many places have you guys worked at as programmers? Oh, I've just worked at BYU and SpotRRF. I have worked at four places. But one of them, I did PHP and Drupal. I don't know if I could count as a programmer then. But <laughs> you blocked out the bad memories. Yeah. Well, it was, it was great for the time. It was how I learned how to do stuff. Yeah, I, I did IT at BYU. I didn't ever actually work for them as a programmer. And then um, I ran tech support at Mosey, and I did programming there. But uh, it wasn't part of my job description. My job description was to run the tech support department. So people would call in with problems with Mosey and we would help fix them. But we needed um, we needed an issue management system, you know, or a ticketing system, whatever you want to call it. And we also needed some kind of knowledge base. And the company really didn't want to spring for it. So I wound up building it. Um, cool. And that's, that's kind of how I made the transition into programming because... After working on that for a while, I realized I didn't really want to do my job. I just wanted to code. So uh, anyway, I, I did QA for six months, um, and I don't know if that counts either. We did write some scripts, but um, our boss wasn't wasn't too keen on us actually scripting the testing of the app, which still doesn't make any sense to me because it was a huge set of or a huge suite of applications that made everything work, and um, testing it all by hand was a pain. And then from there, I actually went and worked for a consultancy in Lehigh now. They're in Lehigh now. They were in American Fork when I worked for them. I was there for about a year, and then their Ruby contract ended, and they laid me off and then begged me to come back like three months later when they got another Ruby contract (laughs) and told them no. Um, I worked for a lead gen company in Provo um, for a year, and I hated every minute of it. I liked the guys I worked with, but I, I just... The, the project was interesting. My boss was an idiot. And then um, I went and worked for CrimeReports.com. They're up in uh, Draper, which is in Salt Lake uh, Valley. They're about 20 minutes south of Salt Lake, uh, downtown Salt Lake. And um, I worked for them for six months. And then due to them having hired a guy that um, they were actually actually profitable when I started working for them, and they were not when they laid me off which was why they laid me off and they laid a few other guys off too. And then I've been freelance since then. So kind of a checkered history there. It seems like all the, all the jobs that I had that I liked, I got laid off from and all the jobs that I had that I didn't like were the ones that wanted me to stick around. So <laughs> that's uh, a bad series of events. Go figure. Well, this is an interesting subject to talk about because there's never been a better time to like, Financially, or, or as far as it uses in finding a job to work with JavaScript. And there's also a ton of people that may not, might not be JavaScript developers that still work with JavaScript. So like, if you want to program in JavaScript, you can. It's just basically, how do you find a place that you will enjoy working at? Or, or an environment that you will enjoy working in? I don't yeah. know, in my mind at least. So, 
Because you can I, just look I, in job boards, and there's a million JavaScript jobs everywhere. I, I first wanted to say, blasphemy, this is a recession. But uh, <laughs> I've, I've seen that the recession really hasn't affected the programming job market a ton. Nope. At least not here in Utah. Yeah, well, so I, I have people, recruiters, all kinds of folks that, you know, they find the show, they get my name off of it, and they email me, and they're like, we need you in wherever, you know, all over the U.S. Um, yeah. And and I and so I don't think it's just here in Utah, though the tech uh, industry here in Utah is very strong. You know, I, I honestly think that there's, I, I think it's everywhere. And I'm seeing it in Ruby as well. Um, I see uh, iOS jobs come across my desk all the time. You know, it's it's crazy. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know if it's really, I mean, we can talk about how do you find a job and, you know, where do you look? Most of the jobs that I've gotten are actually jobs that I've gotten because I knew somebody at the company. Yeah, here's the yeah. answer. If you want a job in Utah you, or in Seattle, actually, email Jameson, J-A-M-I-S-O-N, at i.tv. Or Chuck or AJ. I'm sure all these people have, have things they know of that you could do. But it's also interesting because um, if you want to work on server stuff, you can do that in JavaScript, too. Like, it's not just for client-side stuff. So maybe we can talk about how you find how to do what you enjoy in, in JavaScript. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That means no. I hear no, that maybe I'm just trying. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I'm, maybe. I'm really just trying that. to figure out what you mean by that. So how, how to find what you like in JavaScript? So, so there's, like, all these opportunities. Okay. You could, like... Like that thing that just came across the mailing list today was for a company that does dedicated servers or dedicated cloud servers. Like, I don't even know how that makes sense. Dedicated cloud instances, whatever, right? They're looking for somebody. Then you got like every, every type of business has got something going on where they're hiring JavaScript developers right now. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think, and Jameson, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is how do you go about finding the job that speaks most to the stuff you're interested in. Like I'm interested in servers and JavaScript. Boom. Can I get both? Yeah. With betterservers.com, you can. Yeah. They didn't yeah. even so, pay me to say that. <laughs> Not yet. I guess yeah, I they should sponsor the show. Like, like what, what domain you're interested in, but also do you like front end or back end stuff? Like good news. You can do both with JavaScript. I mean, there, yeah, there's definitely that. I don't know. I mean, the way that I figured out what I like is just by trying it. That's the other good thing. You can try both in the same language. Yeah. So if you've been a front-end guy traditionally, we have um, we have some people that started off as, as pure front-end developers, and they work a lot on our services, too. And some of them are really good at it and like it a lot. And it they just were able to do that because they're familiar with the language, and it was easy for them to pick up the, the back-end stuff. So does that make them impure front-end guys? No. No, it does not. Makes them awesome front end guys. Actually, makes I think it makes them better. I, I, more can, experience. I can agree. Yeah, there, there's definitely that, and and that's one thing that I think is interesting about jobs. Is for example, you go in and say they do hire you as a front end person, and you're interested in doing things like uh, Node.js or you know some other back end technology that involves JavaScript. Um, a lot of times, you can find ways to to bring it in the the way the term I've heard for that is skunk works uh, skunk works projects and basically it's well we need some utility that will generate these reports and you know I've heard people well I want to learn more Ruby or Perl or JavaScript so I'll install Node.js on the machine and I'll see if I can get it to generate those reports and, you know, you bring that in, you bring in, you know, the, the skill set that's involved as well. You get to learn what you want to know how to do. And at the same time, you're providing value to the company. As far as finding jobs that allow you to do the things that you're interested in, what it really comes down to is just, again, if you know people who are doing what you want to do, it makes it really easy to get in there. Well, there's also this weird, it almost feels like desperation in some companies, like, please come work with us. We'll give you like all these perks and all these freedoms. And sometimes it makes me feel a little bad because I feel spoiled. But you as a as an engineer looking for a job have a lot of power. 
and you have power to say like, okay, maybe I'm not that great at this yet, but I'm smart and I'll learn it. And people will be really interested in that, especially now because there, there's such a shortage of, of resources. Yeah. To that point, uh, you know, if they're offering all these perks, it means that you're going to provide the business at least that much value for what that costs plus some. I mean, that's how the business stays open, right? The, the thing is, is, um, if you don't feel qualified for the job, I found really in that, in those situations, because a lot of times these jobs, they'll list like the qualifications for the job and you're like, you need 10 years of Node.js. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, if they have like a ton of qualifications, you can just go in there and do whatever you want because no one has any idea what they're trying to do. That's yeah. when they list the ton of qualifications is when they don't know what HTML is and they don't know what cold fusion is and they don't know what PHP is. So they just put all of them in the listing. Yeah. The other thing that happens is if they have a bunch of qualifications that are more tightly focused around JavaScript or Node.js, um, one thing that you'll find is that a lot of times they were just filling in the form that their recruitment department or recruiter gave them. And so you can, you know, just go apply anyway. So you don't have, you know, 10 years of no JS experience. You know, who freaking cares? Funny story, a recruiter actually approached uh, David Heinemeyer Hansen, who created Ruby on Rails, um, yeah. and said, <laughs> we, we've, we've seen that you have uh, 10 years experience with Ruby on Rails, which is as long as it had been around. And <laughs> yeah, he, he, he lambasted him for it. I just thought that was funny. So I thought I'd bring it up, but so, so yeah, so. Let, let's go back really quickly. I want to start from the beginning. I know you guys want to talk about like interviewing and things, but I want to talk a little bit more about how you find the jobs. So we talked about, you know, talking to people, you know, another thing is, is somebody brought up that uh, on the mailing list for Utah JS, um, a company came and said, Hey, we're looking for JavaScript programmers. So being part of a group online or in person, uh, Utah JS also meets every month, um, is a really good way to do it because, um, a lot of times the employers or recruiters will show up and uh, the folks that are pretty happy with their position usually don't give them a lot of time. But if you're in a position where you need a job and you just mention it in those meetings or on those lists, a lot of times somebody who needs your skill set will see you and, and approach you. Yeah. So you're talking about explicitly advertising yourself on the mailing list. Saying, yeah. hey, I have, this is my experience. I'm looking for a job. Yes. I've seen that totally work. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, my contract is ending here in like three weeks, and I totally intend to email the the Utah Ruby mailing list and say, "Hey guys, you know I'm going to be freed up here in a few weeks. Does anyone have work they need me to do?" And I've, of course, I've got other things going on to help find the work, but uh, you know, we're, we're kind of talking more about full time employment, so I'm not going to go into prospecting and stuff as much unless we have time at the end of the show or we get into talking about freelancing, but. Um, yeah, I mean, literally, that's the best way is talking to people. You can also go talk to recruiters. You can go look on the job boards. And in a, in a lot of cases, they'll put enough information in there for you to at least eliminate the eliminate them based on the major things that you're looking for or not looking for in a job. Well, another thing that's helpful about that is you don't necessarily have to go in and say, hey, I, am, I would like a job, please, and, and advertise yourself that explicitly. You... I mean, I get a lot of enjoyment out of relationships with, with other developers, especially. And so I, I just like hanging out with them and talking to them and going to meetups and stuff. And just through that, I've had so many casual conversations about people's companies and what they're working on. Like, it's what do you talk about when you're, when you're hanging out with a group of developers? And most of them at one time or another have said that they're looking for people. So if you just interact with people and, and, develop friendships with them, they'll also be able to point stuff out to you. Yeah. And if your situation does change a lot of times, you, again, you can just go to them and say, you know, Hey, I got just, I just got laid off or, Hey, I just left my job. You know, I'm going to take a few weeks off and then I'm going to go get back to work. And, um, you know, it'll work out to where you don't even have to look for a job. It could be, um, a little bit less biased than, than something like a recruiter too, because they have yeah. weird incentives. Their incentives are to get you hired somewhere. It doesn't matter if it's the best place for you or whatever. They just get their money from you being hired. Right. So if you have friendships with people, hopefully it's a little bit more uh, organic. Yep. That's why you should be talking to me or Jameson. 
because we care about you and we want you to work at the best places. Yep. We have no idea who you are, but we love you anyway. Exactly. (laughs) All right. I I have a real passion about like, so I I did the recruiting at spot RF for the software team. I was team lead and, and I went out into the community and tried to find people to bring in. And I did my best to make sure that like it was a place where people were going to feel happy. And also when I'm talking with other people about their skill sets, even if it's not programming, like I just love placing people. I love getting two people connected over, you know, some sort of business or, or job deal and, and seeing them be happy in that new thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's an important thing. I mean, you definitely want to put people in where they're going to be a good fit and where they're going to be happy. Um, I want to move along a little bit and talk about resumes. Can I move back for a second first? Sure. Because I wanted to to mention, you know, along the lines of getting exactly what you want, if you pick a technology that's something you're really interested in, especially if it's something a little bit newer, and you go to a conference and you present on it, or you go to a user group and you present on it, or you put it up on YouTube, um, that's probably one of the best ways to get a job doing exactly what you want to do if you present on something you want to do. Because then the people who need you to do what you want to do will find you, guaranteed, or your money back. Yep, and and there's no harm either in putting up on your slides or whatever, saying, you know, um, if you want to hire me, here's how to get a hold of me. And, and, the, and then they know, you know, that'll prompt them, oh, I need somebody who can do this, and oh, look, I'm watching a presentation by a guy that can. Yeah. And and that's, that's a trick that I've learned um, being a freelancer as well. And, and maybe we'll come back around to that. And and I think that kind of does lead into the whole discussion on the resume, because usually the resume is about um, giving them some kind of proof that you, you know, you can do the job. I have to say, though, that I've, I've been a hiring manager in, in several instances, and most of the time I scan the resume. Um, if there's something that re- is really pertinent to what I need somebody to do, then I'll, you know, I'll get excited and, and have them come in. And so you want to make sure that any of those things are on there. But beyond that, I'm really just looking for red flags and, you know, just, just, uh, throwing stuff in the, in the garbage if it's not somebody that's going to work. The thing about resumes is if you know someone, it doesn't matter. Your resume just has to be in English and free of spelling errors. Yes. That's the best way to, that's why jobs are about relationships. If you have relationships with people, then your resume goes through this special tube and ends up on someone's desk, and then someone else comes and says, hey, I know this person, they're cool, and then you, it doesn't matter. The resume is just a piece of paper to get you into an interview. Like, yes, it doesn't, I agree. So if you can get an interview without it, it doesn't matter. Yes, and, and oh, if I had a nickel for every horrible uh, resume I've seen, I'd be a rich man. Uh, just, just, just format, is- it just needs to be formatted well, has to be you know proper English, make sure it doesn't have spelling errors in it, Here's the thing I hate. This is what like grates on my nerves almost more than anything else is when at the top it says objective and it says <laughs> one day I want to work for a large corporation doing this skill as something. And it's like, okay, so what I learned is you don't have any experience working in a large corporation. You're not experienced in this and you can't do that because if your objective is to someday do that, that means you're not doing it now. Like, just put freaking what you are, you know? Like, I am a software engineer, and so, like, whatever position you're applying for, put that up at the top. Like, put that as what you are, because if that's what you're applying for, then that's what you are. You don't need to say, this is what I want to be. You already are that. Ah. Well, and I always think the objective's funny, because ultimately what what the objective on every resume is, is I want to get this job. But, yeah. Um, you know, all, all of that aside, I mean, you know, I, I totally agree with Jameson. Most of the time, it has to be good enough for somebody to want to interview you for the job. So let's Which, talk about the interview. Oh, go ahead. Interviews suck, man. I hate interviews. I hate interviewing. I hate doing interviews. They suck. They can sometimes. I hate them. So hard to tell from an interview how someone will actually do in the job. I was actually going to say, the interview is almost as useful or I guess I, I'll take it back. The resume is nearly useless, and it's almost as useful as the interview. 
Yeah, interviewing is tricky. So the interview, in my opinion, is, I mean, again, you're just looking for red flags, you know? Do I get a funny feeling about this guy when he walks in? Does he look nice? Does he smell nice? You know? Does he smell nice? <laughs> Does he not smell bad, I guess? True story. Collar or her collar. Yeah. But, you know, just things like that, you know, do, do, does he present well? Is this somebody I could work with? But it's really hard to tell a lot of those details just from, like, a half hour talking to somebody. But, again, that's that's why it's so important to have a personal relationship, not just for you looking for a job, but if you are evaluating people, if you know more about them than what you could tell from an interview, you're in a much better position to tell how they'd work at your company. Like yeah. We had a guy who applied because um, our CTO knew him. And he interviewed, and he did okay, but he wasn't very experienced. And then he came in and shadowed, and again, it was kind of okay. It was it was kind of, I don't know, just kind of medium. And no one was super impressed by him, but because he knew the CTO, the CTO has just said, I know him, he's awesome, I'm going to hire him. And we were all, I don't know, we were all a little bit skeptical, but he is one of the best engineers at the company, and and we we didn't notice. I mean, we missed it in the interview. We didn't know he was awesome. Yeah, the the interview, in my opinion, if you're going to go in for one, since we're talking about finding a job, not hiring, but but again, I, I think the two go hand in hand because we're going to be talking about that. You know, you, you definitely want to be confident and you want to be able to present well, you know, what you know. And one other thing I just want to put in is when I was when I was a hiring manager, I always pushed people to, to the edge of their knowledge. And uh, I would ask them questions until I found something that I knew that they didn't. And the correct answer for me was, I don't know. That's a good point. Um, you know, the, uh, it can be a varying degrees of, I don't know, like, uh, I'll, I, well, I could look it up on Google or I bet there's an, you know, there's an answer on Stack Overflow, but I mean, it just, some folks, they just BS it. And I'd look at them and I'd say, no, that's, that's not the way it works. This is how it works. And I just tell them the interview is over because I could never afford, I can't afford, I still can't afford to hire anybody who's going to BS crap on my client's projects. I can't, I couldn't afford when I was running tech support to have somebody BS something and screw up the customer's computer. It just, you know, wasn't worth it. And so um, that's one piece of, of, you know, if you don't know, just tell them you don't know. Just accurately represent what you know and what you don't know. Um, you know, represent your willingness to learn. And uh, hopefully that will, you know, get you far enough if you don't have all the answers you're looking for. When I interviewed at Solution Stream, which was the job I took after Mosey, um, it was my first coding job. That interview, I answered a lot of questions with, I don't know. And the programmer that was interviewing me, you know, he, he would explain the concept and then I would reiterate what he said to make sure I understood it. And that's what got me the job was the fact that I, you know, I, I was a quick study and I was willing to ask questions. So, you know, you don't always have to have all the right answers. One other thing I wanted to mention is, again, because of the, the way the market is, it's kind of a seller's market for, for software developers. You have the opportunity to figure out if the place you're interviewing is somewhere you'd want to work. So a lot of it is going to be, um, do they like you? Do, you? do they think you're qualified enough? Or could you learn the skills you need to? Could you fit in? But uh, some of it is your responsibility to figure out if, if you could succeed there and, and enjoy it. Yeah, so there's, so there's a lot of room for asking questions about how what it's like to work there. I don't know what the business is like. I had an experience with that that went sour where, so it's bought RF we used to ask people to do little projects to try to like gauge their ability to learn and how quickly they could come up to speed with something. And there was one person who became very, very angry because he spent a lot of time working on it, like way too much time working on it was very frustrated by it. And it's, it's too bad that it wasn't communicated clearly enough in the beginning. Like, Hey, you know, if you don't like this kind of work, you don't want to work here. You know, it's kind of like it should have been obvious, but I wish we had like stated it out out loud because this person just got so angry. And then I get the feeling that uh, they, they may have spoken badly about us to other people when like it was this isn't the place you want to work. Like, don't don't sweat it. You know, like if it's if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. 
Yeah, I think there's definitely a bit of, you know, figuring out if the job or the company are right for you. How do you do that? It's really hard. I mean, it's it's just as hard from the company's angle to really figure out if you're the right fit or not. And I've actually let people go because they weren't the right fit, even though in the interview there was every indication that they probably would be. So, I mean, the, the best thing you can do is, you know, ask to see the, you know, where, where the developers work and go meet some of the developers. And, you know, you can, you can look around the space that they're in and you can talk to them about the project. Um, and they can answer you in kind of broad terms as to what they do. And, and, and you can get a good feel just from their body language and the way that they approach things as to how happy they are there. And I think that's a good indication. But, um, I think the best idea that I've heard, and I've heard this from several, several people, is, uh, and including, we actually interviewed, uh, Joe O'Brien, who ran Edgecase, um, out in Ohio for a while before they got purchased. Um, he started it up and ran it. When they were, uh, interviewing people, they would interview them, and then they would actually have them pair with them for a few days. And I, I really, really like that approach because it gives the programmer, uh, a way of figuring out if, you know, I've been here for three or four days. Am I happy here? Is it a good fit? Do I like these people? And it gives the company a good way of figuring out, okay, I've been, you know, we've had him here for a few days. Um, do we like him? Are we comfortable with him here? Um, how do we feel about the work he's doing? That kind of thing. So um, that that's one thing that I really, really like the idea of is just bringing him in and having him pair with you for a few days. And in both of those cases, I'm pretty sure they actually paid him to be there. So it's like, look, you're going to do three days worth of work. We're going to pay you for three days worth of work, you know, just on a contract basis. And then if you if you work out, then we'll hire you. Any any thoughts on that or any other ideas? I like that. It's um, we do that for a day at ITV, and it's been pretty good. I think there are still, I mean, you're still in the honeymoon period. Then, if 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 you agree to come in for a few days, it's probably because you want to work there. Um, and they want you to work there, so there still might be some some things that aren't avail or or uh, not available. What's the other word? I don't know. Visible, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you find out the truth. I, I guess that's the, the closest approximation to what it would really be like working there. Yeah. Um... I mean, if they want you to work there, they're not going to put you on on the crap work. You know, like there's some awful project that no one wants to work on, and and that's not what they're going to have you do, but. I guess if if you could you would hopefully be able to tell what that that's something they would do before you started working there so you could avoid it. Yeah, at the same time though, um if you put them on something hard, you you challenge them in different ways. I mean, you can figure out sort of where they're at and what's going on. Um obviously, you know, you're never going to know until you actually hire them and bring them in, but that's the closest I think you can get before you actually do it. There are some places that that do that, but for months though. What do you think about that? They have like three month contracts, and they don't hire people until they've they've done a contract. Yeah, that's that's usually contract to hire, uh, is the term I've heard for it. So you basically okay. take a three three month contract with them, and then at the end of the contract, your reward is we're going to give you a job. And the the rub is is that a lot of people when they're looking for a job, they want all of the benefits of a full time job. So they want health benefits, they want um, all of the other stuff, and you really don't get that. Um, as a contractor. So you can't really give them what they want. And so you have to find people who are actually looking for or will, or are willing to take a contract position for three months, you know, without getting all of those benefits. Cause if they give you all of those benefits and everything else, and then it doesn't work out, you go claim it on your taxes. The IRS investigates, they treated you like a full-time employee. And so the IRS is going to come in and it's going to say, look, all the expenses that you wrote off while you were on a contract with these guys, um, you can't write those off anymore. So we're going to charge you more taxes. And then they go over to the company and they say, you didn't withhold for those three months. So, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to ding you for not withholding. Um, so you have to pay those taxes plus the penalties plus the interest. And so, um, they can't give you the benefits and everything. And a lot of people aren't happy being without at least like health coverage for three months. Does that make sense? It does. So it sounds like you're not. I like uh, the that idea much of a personally. Fan of it. I I like the idea. I like the idea from a an employer standpoint and from the employee standpoint. It's because, higher risk, higher reward, right? You're you're putting more effort yeah. into it, but you will know more about it. Yes. Well, I mean, 
Utah, well, most of the states out there, including Utah, are at-will states, so they can fire you for any reason anyway. So the risk really isn't that much higher as a contractor versus an employee. The only difference is, is that if they let you go as a contractor, they don't have to pay unemployment. And that's, that's, the, that's the risk that they're mediating with that. But, uh, yeah, the, the rest of it, uh, I mean, it just doesn't seem like it's, it, you know, the, yeah, anyway, that, that's, that's more or less where things are at there. So, uh, you know, the risk isn't that much higher for you. You just don't have the unemployment safety net. And you'll get paid a contract rate that's usually pretty comparable to the um, salary that they would be paying you. It's usually a little more so that you can go get benefits if you want them. But, uh, yeah, it, it it is a nice way for the company to do it without having to take the risk of having to pay unemployment for somebody that didn't work out. And it's nice for you because if you're, if you're under contract or whatever, you know, you just abide by the terms of the contract and walk away. Anyway, so, so the interview pairing, I, I don't know. I, I'm a little curious as to what aspects of the different jobs you guys have had that you really liked. Like what makes it a good place to work? So I'm really biased about ITV because I'm still there and I, I would go somewhere else if I wasn't happy, but I really like it. And part of the reason why is um, they, they put a lot of effort into, so it's a very engineering driven company and they put a lot of effort and, and time into making sure that engineers are uh, owners of stuff they work on, not just producers of like manufacturers of results, you know. That's probably the thing I like the most. I mean, there's like perks and I don't know, foosball tables and all that, that food and stuff. But the biggest thing is just people get treated like adults. There's no hours. There's no vacation policy. There's no butts and seats. It's just here are some things that we want to accomplish broadly, work together to figure out the best way to do that, and then do it. And it, it works out really well. It makes it a really fun place to work. So, so just kind of, it's just kind of a laid back environment. It's it's laid well, it's laid back until it doesn't until it can't be laid back. But that doesn't happen very often. I mean, if there's stuff that must get done or like the company is dead, then people will work on it. But if not, people are very uh, responsible about having a good work life balance. I guess. Yeah, that sounds a lot like. And like the company trusts trusts people with that. There's no guilt tripping if if you need extra vacation time or if you work less than eight hours, like you're not in trouble. You just get your stuff done and it's fine. Yeah. I worked for one company that, uh, like I took a little bit of extra vacation time. And so when they laid me off, they basically withheld my last check <laughs> and said, well, you took enough vacation time to cover this check. And so we're not going to pay That's you. so scummy. Yeah. And then, um, that's really low. Uh, the, the other, but I've heard like GitHub and some of these other companies, they kind of do that where it's look, show up when you want to show up take off when you want to take off. You know, if your kid has a baseball game, go to the baseball game. If, you know, if, if your wife is sick, then work from home kind of thing. And, uh, we just trust everybody to get done what needs to be done. And they don't give you like three weeks vacation or, or, you know, or any of that. It's just, you know, you just do what you got to do. And, um, as long as we're getting the results we need from you, then you're happy and we're happy. Yeah. And it's, I, to me, it feels like optimizing for the right thing. You're yeah. optimizing for for getting stuff done, not um, making people feel like they're in control and they have a good handle on on what's going on, right? Because there's, I think, as a manager, there could be a temptation to feel like you knew what your team was doing and where they were, and that stuff was going to get done. Like you have this um, instinct to clamp down, you know, and control, and and that doesn't help stuff get done. It just helps you feel better. Yeah. So. I don't know. Well, the thing the thing that I've seen with a lot of this is that um, it tends to then attract um, better talent and people who are willing to work as part of the team. Yeah. And, you know, as long as everybody is delivering and, you know, everybody on the team is, is yeah, well, delivering, giving you what you, you, you expect to get out of them, then that's what you get. So it, it's just, it's nice. And, you know, the people who are in demand, like really in demand, that everybody wants to come work for them are going to naturally gravitate to places that allow them to excel that way. One thing that I think is interesting. uh, So there was this podcast that the the valve economist guy, I don't know if you guys know anything about this valve, the video game company has an in-house economist and he was on this economics podcast, but for a while he talked about valves 
hiring policies and their company structure. And it's just totally flat, no managers, no bosses, no deadlines, no external anything. They just work on whatever they want, whenever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing he mentioned is, so they, they make tons of money, but he, he talked about how anything can work in the good times. They haven't really gone through a, a tough time as a company. So I wonder if, if um, I mean, I wasn't a programmer last time the dot-com crash happened, right? I've never been paid to write code when it hasn't been like, just a booming market. So I wonder if any of this stuff changes. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about is this the best way to do it all the time? Or is it just that it's such a good mark time to be an engineer that, that things are really good at work. I don't know. That's a really good question. It doesn't make sense. And I don't know if I have the answer either because I mean, I've been, I've been a programmer professionally for seven years, eight years. So, you know, that that's still after the dot com crash. So, so maybe we just think this is the best way to work because it's the most fun. But if there's not enough money, then maybe something else happens. I don't know. I don't know. So there's money, though, we're going to be happy. Motivators for me are autonomy and getting to keep some of my work. Like I, I'm, I'm really motivated to do what I feel is a good job when it's something that I'm getting to direct myself and how to do it. And especially if it's something that I get to reuse. So at spot RF, I was lucky enough to be able to publish a lot of open source stuff. And so like I made things cleaner, not everything. Cause some stuff I wrote was crap. I'll admit that, but I, I wrote a lot of things cleaner because I knew they'd be useful to someone else and they'd be useful to me later. And I wrote some documentation much, much better than I would have because the same, you know, the same reason, like I wanted to know how to use it for myself later or for someone else to use it. And we got patches for stuff sometimes. And that was way awesome. Yeah. That's always nice is being able to contribute to open source. And, and that's, that's kind of a big thing for me, obviously having been freelance for the last few years and to be, to be perfectly honest with you guys, this is the best job I've ever had. The nice thing is the autonomy for me. Um, it's 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 a huge deal just to be able to to work through things that I want to work through, work on things that I want to work on, pick the jobs that I want to do, pick the clients that I want to work with. I mean, sometimes they ask me to do stuff that I'm not, you know, excited to do. You know, some of it's just boilerplate crap that you have to do. But you know, for the most part, it's it's terrific, and I get to solve new problems on a regular basis and um, really just challenge myself. And for me, I think the biggest things besides automa- uh, uh, automation, autonomy, are just being challenged on a regular basis and to feel like I'm contributing in general to to the well-being of, of the world. And, and that can be the yeah. well-being in, you know, some small little corner of some small little world, um, like the JavaScript community out there. You know, I, I think we reach thousands of people, but, you know, in the grand scheme of how many billion people live on the earth. I mean, it's, it's not even a blip, but at the same time, you know, we've made people's lives better and that's, that's a huge thing for me. So, you know, that, that kind of, uh, that, that's what gets me excited. So when I was working at Mosey, I, I really felt good about it because it had all of those things and telling people to back up their files so they don't lose the pictures of their kids. I mean, it's, it's a pretty small thing and yes, they're paying for the service, but I felt like we made people's lives better. Like I truly believed that at the time being there. And, uh, you know, the lead gen thing was kind of iffy for me. And I think that was part of the reason why I had a problem with it. Um, besides the issues with my boss. And that's the other thing is the interpersonal stuff wherever I'm working is, is also really big for me. If I don't get along with the people I work with and, uh, or if I'm just isolated, it, it usually doesn't work out super well for me. So. Chuck, it just from listening, it sounds like your ideal job would be to be Batman. To be or Batman? You're, yeah, you're you're making the world, you're helping people, you know, making the world a better place. I think you should look into superheroism. Oh, there what about go. throwing lavish parties and speaking in a dark, nasty voice? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm parts. just waiting for one of our listeners to email or to to mail me a cape. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's usually what I'd be looking for in a job, and that's what I look for in my clients. So we've talked about a lot of things. I think the main takeaway is if you don't really, really love your job, there is a job somewhere that you could really, really love. 
right now. And, and you should do that. Like you shouldn't be working on in something that you're not happy with as a programmer right now. Yeah. And I also, so want it doesn't to... have to be with any of us, but, but find something mm-hmm. that you love. Cause you could. And, and the thing is, is you can find that job. It's out there. There's a job out there that will probably meet 90 to 95% of the criteria that you have for a terrific job. So it's, we're not just talking about it. Like if you don't love your job, go quit. And we're not talking about it. Like if you don't love your job, go and kind of look for another one that kind of meets what you need. It's out there. You can find it. Just, just go do it. Um, and, and I'm actually going to pick a resource that I, that I really appreciate that, uh, will tell you how to do that. So do we want to talk about freelancing really quickly before sure. we go into the picks? I haven't done very much. I've only done a couple things with it. So I'll listen to your wisdom, Chuck. AJ, have you done much freelancing? Is this your first experience kind of going indie? Well, I've, I've done work on the side. Um, I also had a, a side business in high school. So I've got some experience, not, not as much big time, just a little bit of big time experience. But um, one thing for me was I know that you can't really balance a full-time job, a relationship, and a contract job will not work. <laughs> yeah, that all depends mostly on how much time you have have to uh, dedicate to those and how much time they demand. But yeah, that is generally true. I have found though that uh there are a few people that have done work for me that um you know, they work their full-time job 40 hours a week, they work their part-time gig with me, you know, 10, 15, 20 hours a week and you know, they still have time to spend time with their wife and kids or whatever. So it can work. It's just really hard. And I honestly can't speak to how you do that because I've never had to do that. For me, I, I, I admire people that can. I know some people can, but goodness knows. It's yeah. tough. I took one contract when I was full-time employed um, and that worked out okay, but it wasn't a very long-term thing. Full-time freelancing, you'd be surprised how many things it has in common with a full-time job in the sense that, you know, you have clients just like you have a boss, you know, they have some project that they need to get done and all of that. The The difference is, is that you get to pick what it is. You get to pick when you work on it. You know, you can work on it as much or as little as you want, as long as you keep the client happy. The The real trick to freelancing is good marketing. And, um, you know, we, we talk about that a ton on the Ruby Freelancer Show, which is shortly to be renamed to the Freelancer Show. And, um, you know, we, we've talked to several people about finding prospects, working with prospects, you know, finding leads, working with leads, you know, getting them down to the point where they're actually going to hire you. And uh, there's a lot there to talk about, but ultimately that's what it boils down to is helping people find you and then helping them figure out that you're the right person to do their job. The, the rest of the technical skill set, it, it, it matters that you're able to do what they need and to do it right and to do it well, but ultimately they don't have any way of gauging that. And so um, usually what you're going to wind up doing is showing them something else that has solved that problem for somebody else or something similar for somebody else and and basically demonstrate, hey, I can do this job for you and I can do it in, in a timely enough manner to where you're willing to pay my rate to do it. And and that's the real secret to freelancing is, you know, uh, get, you know, getting people to that point, building enough rapport and trust and then getting the word out so that people will hire you. Does that make sense? It sounds great. It makes sense. Yep. So the only other advice I'd give people is if, if you're going to do moonlighting, which is kind of the term for I have a full-time job and I'm going to do extra work, um, don't, be, don't expect to be making quite as much as the full-time freelancer guys, and you're probably going to wind up subcontracting for one of them. Uh, you know, you, it doesn't always work out that way. But the other thing is, is you're probably going to get paid more than you think you will. But if you ask the guy what his rate is and he tells you, you're probably not going to make that much. So, um, you know, ask for a little bit more when you're being hired as a subcontractor or as a, you know, after work contract deal. Ask for a a bit more than you think you can get and then see what happens. Because I think you'll be surprised by um, how much much you can get and, and how much it's worth to these people to have your technical skills at their disposal. And that's all I really have to say about that. Other than go listen to the Ruby freelancer show. If you really want to get into freelancing and you said all the things. All right, well let's get into picks. It's, it's really hard to sum that up in like 10 minutes. So (laughs) AJ, what are your picks? 
Uh, definitely Psych Season 7. First episode was pretty awesome. Second episode was a little stranger than usual, but also pretty awesome. Um, love me some Psych. Also, I'm working on a project that is getting to the point that I'm willing to risk putting it out to the public. And my website for it is getmediabox.com. It is a, basically I'm, I'm working on a private cloud solution. And this is the big thing that I want to work on. Like if you want to hire me to work on this, you can totally hire me to work on this. If you want to join me as like for the open source parts of it, you can totally join me. This is something I'm really interested in. But the first part is just uh, music. And then I want to move on to like photos and full backup and yada, yada. Cool. Jameson, what are your picks? I just have one. I bought one of those clicky mechanical keyboards. Oh man, it's so good. Never thought that I would care so much about the thing I typed on, but it's great. The DOS keyboard Model S Ultimate, it's one of those ones that doesn't have any letters on it, so sometimes I have my fingers shifted over one key to the left or right, and I type gibberish, then I notice. Uh, and it's got blue switches, which means they're extra clicky. It just feels really good to type on, and it makes it sound like I'm working really, really hard. Like if I'm typing fast, oh man, somebody else knows that I'm, I'm getting lots of stuff done. It's really good. Actually, I like it a lot. Keyboards like keyboards like that are the reason that I'm constantly saying on go to meeting with my current client, dude. Can you please mute? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'll should. be trying to talk to somebody and it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess if you work with lots of people, you might want to check if they're going to hate you or not. If you get it, but well, other people have them at ITV, and I think they're kind of soothing in the background. See, so yeah. like I'm feeling very soothed right now. Yeah, yeah. Right <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard a lot of good things about them. I don't know that uh, it's necessarily for me, mainly because I also wind up typing stuff into the chat and 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 things during my shows. And the last thing I need is something that loud. But um, you should just so they have softer ones too that still feel good. I got the extra clicky ones, but you should try one once at least, just so you know if you'd like it or not. They're great. Yeah, you want to um, make sure you get the red cherry stem. Uh, spring mechanism in it, right? Isn't no, the one? no. There's like five different ones, and they all have different levels of pressure and different clickiness and different. Yeah, it's it's it gets pretty in depth. I have the blue cherry switches, and I like them. But oh, the blue cherry switches. Yeah. Oh, some people like the brown than... ones, and there are green ones, there are red ones. So, I heard red ones were the best because they have. When you look at the graph of the pressure it takes, like a. What, what what's that symbol like k for the amount of pressure, pressure. you yeah. got to put on something before it'll move what static what what's the name of it I static don't know. you lost me now physics dang it science it's called i think it's called science <laughs> <laughs> but the, so when you look at the science <laughs> so okay. so it's not your standard uh ceramic piezoelectronic no, key switch got, got the camshaft overdrives and the carburetors and oh there we go yep yeah um david brady is one of the guys on the contract he's he's from he's on ruby rogues anyway he's yeah he's on the contract with me and he's one of the guys that has one of those keyboards and um initially i asked him if i could you know try one out and he said no not till we're both off this project because <laughs> he told one of the other guys on the project about it and that guy went and bought one of the keyboards and he's like he's like so i'm glad he loves his keyboard and i'm glad it's working out for him but i'm really kind of sad that i told him about it because <laughs> it's super loud yeah because it's super loud like he's way way louder than the other guy so um, the real test of skill is if you can um code but also make it so the rhythm of your typing communicates in Morse code to the rest of your team. And that way you don't even need like chat or anything. You just, you just let them know what's going on through Morse code. Nice. All right. Well, I'm going to get into my picks. My first pick is a book. It is called 48 days to the work you love by Dan Miller. And um, it's, it's so funny because every time somebody is talking about, well, I lost my job or, I'm thinking about switching jobs and I'm not happy with my job. I buy him that book. I'm not even kidding. Um, I buy him that book and I'm like, look, you have to read this and then you can go find another job. And 
it, it's just such a terrific book. I mean, it walks you through the whole process. Here's what you want to do in order to identify the companies you want to work for. Here's what you want to do in order to get their attention so that you're not just another resume in the stack. Here's what you want to do in the interview. Here's what you want to be doing to make sure that they still are the right company that you want to work for. You know, here's what you want to do if you're, if you love your employer but hate your job and you might want to move into a different kind of position. And it's just, it's an excellent, excellent book. I, I just can't recommend it highly enough. I keep thinking I want to see if I can actually get Dan Miller onto the freelancer show because he has another book called No More Mondays where he talks about um, more independent start your business kind of stuff. And that's kind of the idea. No more Mondays being no more. I wake up on Monday and think, oh, crap, I have to go to work today. And uh, anyway, he's just he's got some terrific stuff. He also has a podcast. Um, you can find that if you go onto iTunes and you look up 48 Days. It's the 48 Days podcast. It's just terrific. I, I can't pick enough stuff by Dan Miller. So um, I'll put links to those in the show notes. And... Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have to pick. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll wrap up the show. And... Can I can I pick one other thing? Sure. This is something I'm super excited about. So, a friend of mine has got a I don't know what it, you call it a a comic company, and he is making comics out of biblical stories, and. The series is called From the Dust. The first issue just came out. It looks beautiful. It's got a lot of little, uh, like, did you know things where, I mean, basically the Old Testament, anybody who's ever tried to read it didn't get anything out of it except for, like, maybe three people. And he, he, he mixes this idea of entertainment and uh, education and fictional story with historical story together really well i really like the way that it's it's shaping up and uh i hope if there's some other people that are you know just interested in in comics in general it's an interesting storyline and and for people that are interested in getting a little more education about uh, bible book of mormon um that kind of thing it's it's a really cool avenue to explore i mean obviously it's not strictly to the historical story because it's it's for entertainment but it's way cool awesome all right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up the show. And uh, anyway, thanks for listening. We'll catch you all next week. See ya.